listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. This week, a 23-year-old nephew of mine who lives in Regina heard the official diagnosis that he has cancer. And I'd like to read to you from his Facebook post that he put on this week. This isn't something I thought I'd ever have to announce at this, part in, at this point in my life. But a little bit before my 23rd birthday, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. I spent the initial time since the dia- diagnosis distraught and full of worry. I was scared, angry, and frustrated that God would allow this to happen to me. I use my body to serve my church and my community, whether it be set up, teaching kids on Sunday, coaching basketball, or working at a lying youth. Why would God take this from me? But through his word and through prayer, the Holy Spirit has overwhelmed me and my family with a joy and a peace that is hard to comprehend. I've been reminded of the cross where Jesus took my sins and allowed me to have a relationship with a perfect God one day in heaven. This will happen regardless if I die in my 20s or my 70s. Death is inevitable, but there is hope beyond the grave. On the other hand, I serve a God of miracles. He has the power and authority, if it is his will, to touch my body instantly and heal me. He also can use highly trained doctors and nurses to complete full healing through a more lengthy, and then he said, and bald process, and put a little emoji. Either way, this story ends in victory. And for that, I can have peace through this terrible storm. Even still, the evil one comes and tries to steal this joy that I have found. So I would very much appreciate your prayers for peace and healing during this difficult time. And then he goes on to make the declaration. And he makes this loud and clear. And he says, death is dead. And that's what we have been singing about today. Because of Jesus Christ, death has been arrested. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can look at that even right now in verse 55. It declares in this great resurrection chapter in verse Verse 55, it says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, people, today I can declare and we can know that death is dead. And when a person of any age, from any culture, regardless of one's past, understands that we have all sinned, that we are all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God, and that sin separates us between us and God. But when we understand that Jesus then came into this world as the perfect Son of God, who died on the cross in our place, taking the sin and punishment and the wrath that we deserve upon himself, and then on the third day rose rose from the dead in resurrection power. And when that happened, death was dead. Death was defeated. And for anyone, 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 anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, repents of their sins, and receives him as Lord and Savior, we can declare and you can declare that death is dead. And this is 
This is the one and only plan for salvation. Did you hear that? This is the one and only plan for salvation. People today, even in, 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 in churches, are saying, well, there should be many ways, and we, sh- we must be open to accept many ways to salvation, many ways to God. We're not in charge of that. God is. And salvation is through Jesus Christ, through faith alone, through his grace alone. And when we receive that, when we believe that, and we receive that truth and that reality into our lives, we can rejoice. This week, however, Hugh Hefner who exploited women and brought pornography into mainstream, died. And unless in the days, hours, or even down to the last few seconds of his life, if he didn't, unless he embraced Jesus Christ as his Savior and the Lord of his life, death is not dead for him, but very much a reality of everlasting torment in the lake of fire. And not only for Hugh Hefner, but for any and all people who do not believe and receive Jesus Christ in the way that we've talked about. This isn't a Melden thing. This isn't a Harvest thing. This isn't what I have to say. This is what God's word declares to us. There is hope, but this is a serious reminder that death and hell are real. And if you have never given your heart to Jesus Christ today, I encourage you, you need to understand you are lost and without hope of everlasting life outside of Jesus Christ. And you can turn from your sin today and you can receive and embrace Jesus Christ and you can be forgiven. And that will be the best decision that you will ever make. You make that prayer a declaration of your heart and it will be the best decision you will make for eternity. And for those who have personally have done this in your life, and many of you have, you have received Jesus Christ as the way that I've described as your Lord and your Savior. We then must get serious about the mission that we've been called to be a part of. We understand this reality that death is real and heaven and hell exist. And that people who do not turn to Jesus, that is where they will go. No matter what kind of good works and the good life they have lived without Jesus, all are lost. And this is where after this, the end of this great resurrection chapter, we have this important word in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. We have the word, therefore, therefore, in light of all of this, and this is one of the most explosive and important therefores. There's many important therefores in the Bible, but this is another one of these important ones. And, and it goes on to say, therefore, and as it continues on, beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It says here we are to be steadfast. I encourage you to underline that in your Bibles. We keep on going and we don't give up. You keep your hand to the plow no matter how hard it gets. We are to be immovable, meaning that you keep your balance. Stand strong even when the storms that are guaranteed to come in life, when they come, you're immovable. You're standing strong with an unwavering commitment even when it's hard. And then we see the word abounding. This means overflowing. This means fill your day. 
You say, oh, my days are full. Oh, my days are full. I just wish somehow if I could figure out how to get another couple hours, you know, instead of a 24-hour day, I could certainly use a 26 or 27-hour day. I could use certainly get a lot more than, than, than what I have. You say, I am steadfast, Melden. I am immovable. I'm abounding. But what are you abounding in? I'm, I'm committed. I'm working hard. But is it are you abounding? Are you steadfast? Are you movable in your plans, in your desires, in your goals, in your ambitions? No, he goes on to say, in the work of the Lord. We are to be steadfast and movable, always abounding, not in what I want to do, but what God has for us to do in the work of the Lord. And this is the call. This is the commission. This is the command for each one who is in Christ. It doesn't matter if you are a doctor, a lawyer, a dishwasher, a department store worker, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you turn wrenches, pull wires, if you're a truck driver, if you're swinging hammers, if you're making sales, if you're pushing endless amounts of crazy paperwork at work, if you're brokering that next deal, if you're a cashier, if you're a customer service representative, if you're a student or a professional, whether a young professional, an old professional, if you're a teacher, you're a retiree, you're a CEO or an EIEIO, it doesn't matter. This is what we're called to do. And this is the mission of God for us as his children. Are you on this mission? mission. And on our third anniversary, I'm calling you to reinvest your life into the mission that God has given to us. And whether it is here at Harvest or whether God has called you to be someplace else, you are to be faithful in the mission of God to take his name to a lost and a dying world. Monday morning, 3.30 in the morning, crazy, was up, met with Thomas Bankowski. He flew down with me to Dallas. We went down there. We were back Tuesday night, crazy. This old body can't take some of these time changes and all these things and lack of sleep. But it was so incredible to be together with about 200 others committed to church planting in Canada, North America, around the world and to say we got to get after it because over 42% of the world has never even heard of the name of Jesus. I was talking to a hairdresser this past week. She has no knowledge of Christianity and she's grown up in Canada. She's not an immigrant. She hasn't, you know, just, just come from another country. She's grown up in Canada. She knows nothing about Jesus. And that's here in our own city. We have been given this command. We have been given this mission from God. Now you might say to yourself, oh, Meldon, Meldon, uh, Check mark. I'm steadfast. I'm immovable. I'm always abounding in, in the work of the Lord. I'm committed. I'm committed. I'm a committed worker. I work hard. I serve hard. I, I, I'm given my best. But folks, we have to even at that, I say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the way that you serve the Lord. But we have to even examine our hearts when it comes to that. Who am I doing it for? Am I doing it for the glory of man? Am I doing it because of the fear of man? Am I doing it to, to try to maybe earn some favor or, or, or kind of mark a checklist or maybe even in some kind of way think we can impress God and earn favor from him because after all, I kind of owe him. No, we don't owe him. His son paid the price for us. Are we seeking in what we're doing and what we're serving? Are we seeking our own glory? Are we thinking, how is this going to make me look? How is this going to make me feel? No, we are here to serve God, to glorify him. And in what we say and we do, would it bring, bring glory to him with the right heart, with right motivations. And this is something daily we have to continue to do because somehow I want to keep moving on, on, on the throne. I want it to be about me. I want people to like me and to, to think, oh, how impressive or how, you know, what a leader or whatever is all these crazy things that come to our mind. I want to be used of God for my glory. No, it's got to be for God's glory and God's glory alone. He gets the glory. Right motivations. 
And it all, and, and, and this flows from a deepening heart of worship and reverence and awe for God. God's glory and God's glory alone. And that's why it's important we stay low. We stay low in humility, in dependency upon God. And so he, that's how 1 Corinthians, this great chapter ends, this great resurrection chapter, calling us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then chapter 16, we get some practical instructions on some ways that we can be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And in and, and the last couple of weeks, we looked at the first few verses, the first four verses there, in, in, in reference to our generosity, that the, this is something, when it comes to giving to the Lord's work and, 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 and giving sacrificially to his work, something we need to be a part of. And now this week, we come to, to verse 5, and, and, and it has to do with making our plans, making our future plans. How do you prioritize your life? How are you making your current decisions on how you should live the next 3, 5, 10 years, however many years? Maybe you've got 50, 60 years to go still. You have no idea. You think, well, you know, if I live to you know, a certain age, I've got so many years, and, and you're kind of thinking along these lines. How do you fulfill the mission of God? How do you prioritize your life? You know what? God's word has an answer. Even in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians here in chapter 16. And, and the big question is, do we fit God into our plans or is God the one that is over and above all of our plans? Do we set our own path and our own likes? Oh, I think I want to do this. Oh, I have an interest in this. And then we just expect God to, to sprinkle some of his, his, his God dust blessing upon our lives and, and then we go with it. It's like, God, here's what I'm going to do. You coming with me? Is that, I mean, we wouldn't say that, but maybe oftentimes I think we live like that. And in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5, Paul is making some personal remarks and he's sharing his travel ministry itinerary with the people. And this is something that, that oftentimes I, I, I'm totally guilty of. I don't know how many times I've read through the book of 1 Corinthians and this is like, just, you know, you skim over these verses. It's like, boring. You know, like, I mean, it, it, it's just, it doesn't seem like there's a lot there. But this is what I love about God's word. This is the treasure that it is as you dig into it and you take this nugget out and you polish it and you just see a beauty and you see a power and you see priority and, 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 and you see the way that we are to plan out our lives and we can learn from the Apostle Paul. After all, 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. This is just as important as some of these major doctrinal statements that we have throughout the word of God. This is important because it says all scripture is God-breathed, profitable, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. I pray that these verses 5 to 12 would train us today, would teach us, would correct us, would reprove us. And so let's read here. I'm going to read these verses as we get some insight into what made the Apostle Paul tick as well as his travel itinerary. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Mas uh, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing a good work, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. 
Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Basically, as I said, we see the Apostle Paul's travel itinerary. And you know what, Harvest, I believe very much here in our third anniversary, this is a timely word because so oftentimes we can kind of start to take our foot off the pedal. We can start to coast and be comfortable in our Christian lives and even when it comes to the church. I was told uh, shortly after we planted uh, and started things here, they said the first two years are going to be a marathon and then after that it becomes a, uh, or it's going to be a sprint and then beyond that it's going to be a marathon. Folks, there's an aspect here. We need to keep the sprint going. We can't take our foot off the pedal. We need to keep going. Our city, our region, our nation are full of churches that are sitting, going through the motions, have no mission, no plan to reach the lost world. They're sitting in comfort. <laughs> no, that's just too good, you sitting in these chairs right now, you know, and, and so put your chairs down, you know, like make it difficult for yourself. It might encourage you to actually do that. Some of you might need to, you know, so keep them up, but don't fall asleep. And if someone falls asleep by you, smack them and say, smack them in love, say, this is, this is in love, wake up, you know, actually do that right now in case anyone's out. Turn around, just say, wake up, wake up in love, you know, you know these seats are so crazy. But, but these seats are a reflection oftentimes of our spiritual lives and our churches today. And we sit back, feet up, think we can just kind of coast and take it easy, and, 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 and we can be ministered to, and, um, and then go out and live our lives. No, that's not what we're called to. And what we see here from the Apostle Paul is an unwavering, unwavering when it comes to the mission. And when it comes to Paul's plans for the future, when it comes to our plans for the future, there must be an unwavering to our mission. We must be unwavering in the mission that we've been called to. Look at in verse 5, he says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may come and help me on the journey wherever I go. You see, Paul's heart was to get back to the dear church here in Corinth. He's writing from Ephesus, and we'll look at that in a moment. But right now, he's wanting to get back to them. But the demands on him were so great. I mean, this was a guy that was in demand. He was on the move. He was, his heart was much larger than just his own little circle. It was, it was for all the nations. He had a heart for the nations, and, and he wanted to take the gospel out. And, 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 and you kind of think, well, what would make a guy tick in this way? I mean, not only was he just like a traveling, I mean, and, and the travel on those days weren't airplanes, they weren't trains, pla trains, planes, and automobiles. It was by foot, it was at times by caravan that they would go, and, and what would cause him to walk hundreds and thousands of miles and, and, and sail on stormy seas. It was the mission of God, and this is what he was committed to. And in Acts chapter 14, you think, man, what makes this guy tick? Here he is, he's, he's preaching the word in, in Lystra, in, in the city there, and he's preaching the word, and he causes such an uproar that, that, that people gather around who don't like him, they take him and they stone him, they believe he's dead, and so they haul him out of the city, they leave him for dead, and the people, he, those that are with him, gather around him, but he's not dead, and he gets back up and he goes right back into the city. I mean, I would be on the first Greyhound bus out of there if that was me. It's like, if these people are going to stone me to death, I'm out of here. I'm in fear of my life. I, I'm gone. But he goes back in there. 
Paul's in, what, what made him tick? What caused him to have this mission and to be on this mission from God? It goes back to his encounter. His encounter on the Damascus Road that we read about in Acts chapter 9. There on that road, everything changed because he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And as he understood the testimony of Christ, and as he was there on that road that day, the vertical, he understood the vertical relationship. He, he understood and a growing understanding would happen about the glory and the majesty and the holiness and the power of our God. And you see, when the vertical takes place, when the vertical relationship is in place in our lives, God then says, get to work. The vertical leads to us getting to work for God. And he was compelled to preach the gospel, to plant churches, to train up elders and repeat over and over again. He understood his mission was much bigger than his own little world and his own little comforts. It was a mission for the entire world. Paul took the commands of Jesus, the final words of Jesus. They weren't these nice little words. They were a command that he gave to us in Matthew 28 when Jesus said, Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ here today, you and I were commanded to go. We're commanded to do this, to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations. And the nation starts right outside this building. The word go actually doesn't mean just get on a ship and go somewhere or, or, or get on the nearest airplane. It, it, it implies as you are going, as you are going through your life, we are to be making disciples. We just don't hang around church people and church events all the time in our nice little holy huddles. We get out there. We minister to those who are hurting, to the spiritually hungry. And people are hurting and hungry all around us. They're searching for answers. As I mentioned, a hairdresser. It didn't take long to find out where, where she was at and, and the things where she's confused at in life and the areas that she's hurting. And thankfully, I got her card and I'm going to need, I have hair. Uh, I, I keep complaining to my wife that my hair is turning grayer and grayer. And she says, be thankful you have hair. And so because I still have hair, I can continue to go to this hairdresser and, and continue a, a relationship of, of sharing Christ with her. My dad, he's in his early 80s. He took one of his grandkids this past week to the science center in Regina. And there he saw this Chinese couple that were kind of confused out in the park lot and so he went to see if he could maybe help them and and he found out they're recently from China they have just moved here and and and, and they have a, a bit of an understanding of English and and then my dad said to him just outright he says do you have a faith system what kind of faith system do you have and they said we don't have one of those yet talk about ripe fruit for the picking he's like oh well good luck on that are you kidding me next thing you know I mean if somebody would observe this this would have looked funny because my dad's kind of a well, he, he's a great guy, and, 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 and next thing, he's whisking them in his minivan along with the grandchild, and he's taking them to a place where he can share the gospel with them, and Lord willing, they're in church with him today. And he said, they are so hungry. Folks, that's the people around us, but so oftentimes, we're looking at our own navels. We're navel-gazing. We're looking at our own lives, our own problems, our own issues, our own goals, our own dreams, our own plans, our own missions, and we're not looking at what we're called to do and what we are called to be. Oh, dear friends, I pray that at Harvest Bible Chapel, we would be unwavering in the mission of God that he has given to us. The mission of God for our lives. Oh, would we be unwavering in that? But second of all, may we be open-handed with the details. Look at in verse 7, we see here that, that Paul is laying out his travel plans, and, and he's saying, you know, I'd love to come here, and this. 
you want to know something about what happened with Paul's plans? None of them turned out in the way that he described here. It didn't happen. See, he's writing from Ephesus, and we have this, this map we've been just helping you to draw a bit of context with. He's writing from Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, and the people there, he deeply loves them. He loves them, he cares for them, and he wants to go up into Macedonia, up into the north region there to Philippi and Amphilius and, and, and these different regions up to Berea, and then he wants to come down to Corinth. And then his goal is to get to Jerusalem, and, and to care for and to encourage and to help perhaps deliver an offering to, to the people in, in Jerusalem and as we were talking last week. And so his plan was to, to, to make this trip and to get to Corinth and spend the winter with them and spend some good long time with them. Yet it never happened in the way that he had planned. He had to revise his travel plans. We see from 2 Corinthians, uh, the early part there, uh, he had to revise his travel plans a couple of times. People even kind of then called him kind of flaky. You're not a man of your word. And he's like, you got to understand, you know, like I, I'm unwavering in my commitment, but I'm, I'm open-handed in the details that, that sometimes details won't happen in the way that we, we like. He did eventually make it to Corinth, but not in the way that he thought. And see, we, we have to understand that when life rises up and changes and, and our plans change, we need to accept that and we need to go with it. As the cultural theologian, Mike Tyson, said, he says, every boxer has a plan until he gets punched in the face. <laughs> Isn't that true? You're going along, you think I've got this, you get a good solid punch in the face and all of a sudden you're, you're planning and your preparation for the fight is over. And so, yeah, our plans may change, but folks, we're unwavering in our mission. We're open-handed about the details. Look at what he says in verse 7. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. In other words, if the Lord wills, if it's okay, I want to come. But, but he's talking about, about what is good here. And, 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 and folks, it's, it's biblical and it's wise and it's good for us to make plans regarding the future. God's word, reading through, through Proverbs, you'll see it over and over again. A wise man makes plans. It's good and proper for us to do it. But I'd like to give you this morning and encourage you to write this down because this can guide you, this can guide others. When they're saying, how do I make wise choices and wise plans? And this is short, it's succinct. You can go into more detail on this, but, but here you get an understanding of how we can be seeking God for the future. And the first thing is prayer. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your way, acknowledge. That's prayer. In all your ways, pray. Acknowledge Him. Acknowledge God. You pray to God, and He will make your path straight. It starts with prayer, seeking God for your future plans and endeavors. Starts with prayer, and there's also a, a verse there in James chapter 1. God, it, it's getting before God in humility. And not saying, here's my plan, God. It's like, God, what is your plan in this? Here's this opportunity, God. What do you have to say? And we find that by seeking God. First thing, prayer. Second of all, run our plans through the grid of God's word. What does God's word have to say this? Will my plans cause me or cause others to compromise the word of God or the testimony of Jesus Christ? Ask yourself that question. You, God will not lead you into anything that God's word goes against. He will not lead you. He will not call you. He will not tell you to, to marry someone who is unsaved, who does not know Christ. He's very clear in his word in that. 
very clear in his word when it comes to sexuality. That is, between a male and a female, husband and wife, in committed marriage. There's no exceptions. And so don't even seek God about those kind of things. It's already done. It's a no. And so we seek God for, for, for this through, through prayer, through the word of God. And, and we have to lead ourselves in this. Some great verses to ask ourselves, as, and, and, and this gives a nice summary in, in, in God's word. Colossians 3.17, it says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In what you're doing, are you taking the glory for yourself? Are you doing it to make a name for yourself or a name for Jesus? Do it all for the glory of Jesus. Giving thanks. Be a thankful person. Ascribing thankfulness and, and, and praise to him in what we're doing. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it. Do it all to the glory of God. Is God being glorified by what I'm thinking about, what I'm planning, what I'm deciding? Does this bring glory to God? God's word also calls us to lean on wise counsel. It's not in your notes, but I encourage you to, to put in there uh, wise counsel. Brothers and sisters who can walk with us and pray with us and, and, and when it comes to making plans for our lives. It may be your parents. It may be a, uh, a friend, someone in your small group, uh, a, a long-standing brother or sister in Christ. I'm so thankful for the wise counsel that God has brought into my life, but on many of those occasions, I've had to seek them out. And I seek out their, their wise counsel and I ask them to, to study along with me the plan that I'm looking at and see what, what the Lord, how the Lord is leading and guiding and if they have insight for me in that area. I'm just so thankful. I think every decision I've made from marrying Charlotte to every move to even houses that we've bought, all of these things on, on these different areas, we've sought wise counsel. And those are in the big things, but also in so many little things. How do I handle this situation? I want to do it in a way that's honoring to God. The third test is, the te is, is tested by the Holy Spirit. Now, God's word does not always give us the exact clarity that we're looking for. You know, like, I mean, when, when you're perhaps looking to relocate to a different city, you know, or buy that house, or, or find that person to marry, or the school that you should attend, or the vacation that you should take. These are things we all need to be praying about, and yes, we pass them through the, the grid of God's word as far as just when it comes to our money, when it comes to our time, when it comes to our quality of life, when it comes to, you know, other criteria that we see in this, but but there's areas where the Bible doesn't lay down the principles or, or, or give us the specifics, but it lays down the principles. I never found Charlotte's name in the Word of God when I was studying it, you know, as far as, you know, is she the one that I should marry? I never found Charlotte. I never found Kelowna. I never found Cobble Crescent anywhere in the Word of God. And yet these were all decisions that we trusted God in. And Colossians 3.15, go to the bank on this one. Go to the bank on this one. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. When we are seeking the will of God and we're praying about it, we're passing it through the grid of scripture, then we come to the peace of God. May it rule. That word is umpire. You know, safe or out, strike, ball. You know, there's decisiveness. And the peace of God will rule your heart. Someone says when you come to a fork in the road, Take it. It's really wise, isn't it? Uh, but allow the peace of God to rule. Now, when you think of peace, the peace of God, you might think, oh, 
this is how I should feel, you know, a nice ocean sailboat ride or a nice time, you know, on, in the Caribbean and, you know, where I'm being fed appies and a nice cold drink or a nice Okanagan sunset. Ah, oh, this is the peace of God. We think that, you know, that when we, you know, know this kind of peace, that that must be the will of God when I have peace like this. No way. Read the book of Acts. It's not like this, that it, it, it can be, and it can be like this in our heart, but, but the surroundings and what's going on with us may be a nightmare, maybe a hurricane, maybe crazy, and yet in the midst of it, we can know God's peace. Just think of what I read to you about my nephew, how in this overwhelming news and this overwhelming, at times, just understanding of the future, he talks about this overwhelming peace as he faces this unknown future. And, and this peace has just been so real for him and for our family. And if you are not at peace when it comes to a decision, that, that the peace of God, you can pray for the peace of God. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy the road ahead. But God does give you, he grants his children peace in this way and we seek after it. And if you don't have peace, continue to pray. Continue to study the word. Continue to seek wise counsel. I've appreciated the elders boards in uh, a number of the churches where I'm a part of and what I get to see as part of Harvest Oakville that if there isn't a peace in the room on certain decisions, it doesn't come down to a vote, you know, of six against four or anything like that. No, it comes, the peace of God. And if the peace of God isn't in that decision, take and table it for a time, pray about it. Study the word of God and revisit it. Seek wise counsel and then move ahead when that peace of God comes and you'll know the peace of God. It's an overwhelming peace, but it's not always going to be like pictured here. Our plans will change in life, yet it's our convictions and our principles that govern our lives even when they are based, when they're based on this kind of a criteria. That that yes, our plannings and, and the events will change, but folks, when we are people of convictions and these kind of convictions are, are upon our lives and this is the grid that we're passing things through, um, this is how we make our plans for the future. I can attest these last three years of church planting has not gone at all the way that I thought and planned four years ago right now, sitting in the training center in the United States. I had a certain idea and an image and understanding what this would look like, and, and, and certain aspects, I, I, must, I can't say hasn't gone at all, but in many areas, it hasn't happened. Many areas are go have gone way better than I thought. In other areas, never developed in the way that we had thought or had planned or different things like that. I think of when we moved to Kelowna. Seven years ago, we had an understanding. Of, we kind of thought we knew what it was going to look like. We had no understanding, but our convictions to be part of a church that proclaims the word of God that believes firmly in prayer, that has a desire to worship God in spirit and truth and then get out there on mission for God. Those convictions never changed. And when I saw a video four years ago and I saw these pillars and I saw what Harvest was about, it was like, that's it. That's so beautiful. That's amazing. Our plans and our details may change, but our convictions based on the word of God don't change. And we're living in a world today where convictions are changing because they're no longer being based on the word of God. 
They're based on a version of the word of God or a certain, you know, sort of digression away, but we stay on with the word of God. Thirdly, we see that in our plans for the future, we must be committed for the long haul. In verse 7, Paul is telling them, I want to spend a good amount of time with you folks. However, he says, but there's an open door here in Ephesus. There's a great opportunity. He ended up spending three years in Ephesus, all told. There was a great opportunity, and, 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 and he wanted deep relationships. He didn't want to just come in and dash in and dash out and go on to the next thing. Even though he had a heart for the nations, even though he had a heart for, for other nations and countries and, and, and regions, he was still all there. Wherever he was, you were to be all there. We are to give a full shovel in the work and in the investment in the lives of people that God has placed in our lives today. Not waiting for some future kind of glory or opportunity and then I'm going to engage. No, it starts now. We see wherever Paul was, he was all there, heart and soul. He was all in there, full shovel with the people. And so oftentimes we can stand around and we're waiting for that next opportunity or we're waiting for God to use us. We're waiting to be trained or waiting to hear the voice of God and, and for the heavens just to open and for us to be dropped into the situation and we're Superman for this situation. Yeah, that doesn't happen. We dream about it, we think about it, but it comes as we're in it for the long haul. Remember when we first moved to Alberta from, from the church we were in in Saskatoon or as a youth guy and I came in as a solo, solo pastorate to this redneck, blue-collar uh, community and church and, and it was just like, oh boy, this is just a stepping stone. We are not going to last here. We are in this middle upper-class church in, upper-class church in um, Saskatoon, and, and I mean, these were, these were rednecks. I mean, this is borderline hillbilly, and it's like, it's not our kind of people. You know when our ministry changed? When we decided to be all there. That we were going to love these people. And you know what? They loved us back. And 14 years later of blessed, difficult, but blessed ministry, we left with tears running down our faces. Wherever you are, be all there. It's not about being faithful and desiring to be faithful down the road. It's being faithful in the present. Find an open door. And Paul says here in Ephesus, there's an open door. Find the open door and get in it. Go. Come on. Be all there. You think of Stephen and Philip in, 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 in the book of Acts. Men used of God's in, God in, in a mighty way. In, in mighty ways that they were used. You know how it started out for them? As waiters on tables for a bunch of widows. There was a problem in the church. The widows were being overlooked. They needed to be fed. And so, Paul, or so then the apostles, they end up saying, choose some men full of faith, Holy Spirit, and wisdom. You think, wow, that's quite a resume for, for, for individuals to, to wait on tables for widows. Oh, no, God had a plan a lot more for, for, for them than, than that. But God wanted to see, are you faithful in the little things? We're waiting for the big things. We want the big things. God says, you be faithful in the little things. When I started in ministry um, quite a few years ago now, and there's a picture of myself and Pastor Regeer together uh, taken this summer. I came in fresh out of college thinking I knew it all. And I didn't. And he would do things and say things, and I'm just like under my breath, that is just dumb. That's not the way that you do it. But I was told early on by... Uh, one of my leaders, he says, if you go and you learn from that man, you will be equipped well to serve God in ministry. I'd always told God, I'm never going to plant a church. That's dumb. Um, never. He planted four. 
And I got to be a part of a church that was then five years old as I came in as this young youth pastor who thought he had it all together and clearly didn't. And I came alongside him, not knowing at times what he was doing or what he was thinking, but I came alongside and those were some incredible years where I got to learn from a man who, who, who had seen so much. <laughs> years later as I became a senior pastor on my own, all those dumb things that I thought that he was doing that I thought were like, why is he doing it? Guess what I was doing? Those exact same things because they made sense. I was so smart. I thought I had it all together. And it's about being faithful, giving that full shovel where you're at. And what does God have down the road for us? I don't know that. Maybe it will be a lifetime of waiting on tables, but you'll have joy. Or maybe it's something in a greater way, a greater capacity. I trust, I pray that there will be pastors and church planters and missionaries that will be raised up here from this room, this very room, or from the kids in Harvest Kids because God has gotten hold of their life through the teaching that they get here, through the word of God, and they're like, I want to give my life to the service of God, whether it's being a professional, whether it's being um, in the service industry, or whether it is being in the ministry that God would have that we would be faithful. There's open doors all around. Folks, there's open doors. There's open doors in this church. Read the e-news. Week after week, we put things in there, and I think a lot of times we think, oh, someone else will do it. I'm not going to do that. Take an open door. Washing kids' toys. Why? So they can have clean, clean toys. There's so many germs floating around um, with your kids and with others, and, and, and an opportunity to wash toys, or, or even there's a need now, Pam just told me today, they need more toys, Hot Wheel cars, and different things, Lego for, for kids, because some of them have disappeared, not that any of your kids have done it, we just think that it's kind of been lost here at the theater. Um, there's many opportunities, many, many opportunities. Go on our website and, and look for those opportunities that need to get done. It's not like, well, you know, check my resume on this. No, open the door. Walk through it. See what God would have for you. And as we commit to these open doors of opportunity, God comes along and readies us and prepares us for whatever is next. Fourthly, we, when it comes to making our plans for the future, we need to be expecting and embracing opposition. Look at what Paul says. He's in Ephesus. He says a wide door, a great door of opportunity is open, but he says there's many adversaries. Folks, opposition will come. And right now, some of you need to hear this because you think that maybe you're out of the will of God because of the opposition that is coming. That can sometimes be true, but oftentimes it is not true. It is the opposition that comes because we are in the will of God, because we are serving him. There's going to be those negative thoughts. There's going to be things that, that happen that overwhelm us, that confuse us, and yet God will never do that as we turn to him. One pastor said, everywhere Paul went, he caused a riot. Wherever I go, they serve me tea. You know, and, and his life was living on the edge. He was ready to say what needed to be said. He was a, a loving man, but he was a bold man. G. Campbell Morgan, an old pastor, he said, if you have no opposition in the place you serve, you're serving in the wrong place. Living and doing the will of God was often very hard for Paul, as I've already described. It also was for Joseph and Moses and David and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah, the disciples, the early church, even Christians today who are suffering greatly with great opposition. And that may even be you today where you are at. We can start to get tempted to think that when life gets rough, we're out of the will of God as I've already said. No, it means very much at times that we are very much in the will of God. But God will use opposition. He will use setbacks, discouragements to strengthen you, to humble you, to correct you, to humble humble us in ways that, that we thought we were already humble in and, and we thought we already handle 
teaches greater repentance. And folks, I can attest this true and true and true and true in my life over and over again. And God will allow these things to happen to teach us and to train us. And the last thing that I want to share with you this morning is run with the team. You need to be running with the team. If you're not committed to a church, get committed. You need to be committed, whether it's here or another church that God is calling you to be a part of and be all in. We have Discover Harvest happening afterwards. Just come to that, hear what we're about, 25-minute presentation, come and hear what, what it's about. Send other people our way, share the gospel with other people. But we need to be running with the team. These last number of verses, in verses 10 to 12, Paul mentions Timothy. And then later on, he mentions Apollos. And, and again, we're just getting some details here. But Timothy was going to be the one delivering this letter as he's just finishing it all off. He's coming to the last part here of the book of 1 Corinthians. And he's like, okay, Timothy, go. Take this, you know, uh, take this to, to the church in Corinth. Deliver it to him. And so basically, Paul is telling them, be nice to Timothy. Be nice to him. He's kind of young. He, he's a little shy. He's a little sensitive. He kind of has a bit of a weak stomach. Don't, don't be hard on him. Don't criticize him. Be kind to him and, and send him on his way quickly. He, there's important work for him to do. And God used young Timothy in a mighty way. And Paul did not, as you see through the course of his life, he did not work and minister on his own. There's no lone ranger. Who, who the thunder do you think you are thinking that, that you can go through the Christian life and not have someone who's on your team, who's walking with you, a group of individuals in a group setting, a small group, nice plug for small groups right now, but you need group life. You need others, believers in Christ, to say, I have my spouse. That's unfair to, call, to, to have it as your spouse is the one who is your spiritual partner in that way. Desire for you to be spiritual partners, pray together, learn together, talk together, but you need others. Men, God's word says iron sharpens iron, so as one man sharpens another. We also see through the word of God that women are to be with other women, to be able to learn and study and grow together, be in a group. We can't do this alone. Paul was constantly building into, but also receiving from others, whether it be Barnabas and Silas and Luke or Timothy or Mark or Priscilla and Aquila and so on. Romans 16, he lists at least, six, at least 24 different people, men and women who were part of his team. And he's just saying, these are the faithful ones. We are never to be alone. We are to be part of a team, working and serving and learning and growing together, where we do life together, where we pray together, where we study God's word together, where we share with one another. And so we see we need to be on a team. We need one another. We need one another. We need to be in a group together. I encourage you, get into a small group. Say, ah, commitment issues. Get over your commitment issues and commit. These are important. They're listed in the e-news, and you can talk to someone who you already know as a leader. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I was in a group last year. I don't know if I'm going to do this. Get in it. Or get on it. If you haven't done it, come on. I encourage you to be a part of this. This is part of the mission of God where we can work and serve and grow together. I'm just so thankful for those who serve in, in, in our church and in small group ministries, those who host in their homes. And yesterday, though, I did get a text message from one of our host families, there was some vandalism in their home caused at their um, small group meeting. I guess they had one of these little picture signs, little chalk thing, and it said, trust in the Lord, but someone on their small group night took and did this. <laughs> took and put rust in the Lord. And, and, and so this person, thinking she might know who did it, texted it to me and, um, and thanked me for it. 
And uh, yeah, I, I must confess it was me who, who did that and, and, and she went and corrected and, and uh, you know, just having some fun and it kind of brought a bit of a smile, at least to me, um, maybe not to any of you or, or to others, but, but as she sent that, it started to hit me, you know, that many, this can be the reality of many here in this room. Instead of trusting in the Lord to be part of his mission, you're rusting in the Lord. You're not moving. You're just, you're just taking it in. You're receiving. And God's word calls us to trust in him and to move forward and to be on the mission that he's called us to be in. So we might have to get the WD-40 out. Might need to loosen up some of those joints that are rusting up and come on, let's get going. Let's get moving. You can't move a, a vehicle that is, you know, just by moving the steering wheel. If it's not moving, get it moving and then God's going to lead and guide and direct you. But get moving. We need to trust in the Lord in all these areas. And so this morning encourages we even bow our heads now. Or you may even want to look up the screen and look at these points that we looked at here today. I wonder when it comes to your plans for the future, what areas need some work? What areas might need some repentance in your life? First of all, has death been defeated in your life? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? If not, you need to, you need to solve that today. You need to figure that out. You need to, to, to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior if that is your desire. But today I wonder, are you unwavering in your mission? And are you open-handed in the details? Are you telling God, oh, this is my plan and this is what I'm to do? Are you committed for the long haul to be faithful, to be faithfully serving God in the investment of the lives of people? And are you expecting and, and, and embracing opposition as even as a gift from God? And are you running with the team? encourage you to take these and to make them a reality in your life. Confess of areas, pray to God to help you in other areas. Take it to your small group this week. Encourage small group leaders even just to even spend some time in your prayer time this week in discussion. What areas do I need prayer for in this? How can you hold me accountable? How can you get me moving? I'm rusting in the Lord and need to get trusting in him. Lord, we just thank you that you are a faithful God and you have called us to be a part of this mission and there is no greater thrill that can be experienced here on the face of this earth then we, when your children, when we are a part of the mission that you've called us to be a part of. And I thank you for the many who have made it possible over the years, over the decades, over the centuries to bring about the opportunity that has brought each one of us, even to this room here today, the faithfulness of many people committed to your word, faithful pastors and Sunday school teachers and parents and Bible publishers and Bible school teachers and professors and, and youth leaders and various others who are committed to the mission of God. The mission of God is going out and winning the lost and seeing lost people discipled and growing up into maturity to get out there and to be part of the harvest, the great harvest field that you have. The, your word tells us that the harvest is great, the workers are few. Lord, may we not rust out. I don't want us to burn out. We have to have to go in your time and, and with rest and with a pace that is healthy. But God, some of us just need to get moving. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves and we need to get our eyes on you, Jesus. And when that happens, God, you have an exciting, a crazy life in store as we desire to be on mission for you. In this church, in three years, the next three years could look radically different as we all take and recommit and re-embrace these truths that so many of us know but we just simply avoid. May this be a reality in our lives. May our groups be overfilled this week. 
May our prayers be bold. May we be unwavering in our commitment. May we be humble when we say, help me, help me to understand. Help me understand the word. Help me to understand what God wants in this situation. And God, would we be knit together in unity and a boldness for the gospel, for your honor, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand together as we worship. May this song be a prayer in our hearts for our church, for our lives.